Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded once again at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, a newly appointed contributing editor of, uh, of Publishers Weekly, but also editor of PW Comics World and editor of the Fanatic, PW's twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash Comics. I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. Maybe other uh, microblogging sites, too, in the future. Who knows? <laughs> and you can find us online on Tumblr. And my name's Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the <laughs> podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. Uh, and don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the Apple com, the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher, and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And don't forget, you can leave us a rating of some sort or a comment on any of the platforms on which you listen to this podcast, and we strongly encourage you to do so because we love to hear from our listeners. So, Calvin, does this mean that we have rescued P- the PW Comics World? Facebook from the depths of Facebook doom? Uh, yes. <laughs> so you can find us again there, listeners. Yes, and we have been back there for a while now. We've been back for a while. Yeah, well. So anyway, but this week on More to Come, goodbye, Ike. Huh? DC restructures amid Shazam Wars. <laughs> Lance, and that's Lance Fincerman, leaves Reed Pop. Convention update uh, and the Mocha preview. Digital comics update. And an awards roundup. So, Oof, boy, is this is this news or is this shading? Just come out, <laughs> come out wherever you are. I, I, and see I, I, the young we hardly knew who ye. came from a star. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, we've been talking about this for years on here. Ike Perlmutter, the notoriously irascible, cantankerous, homophobic, racist, and sexist, and cheapskate. A uh, oh, bad manager, too. A bad manager as well. A, a, a lot of bad things. He's a lot of bad things. And uh, he was the chairman and president of Marvel Comics for a long time. And now he's not. He got laid off. And we were talking about, we have talked in the past about the proxy war that Ike was waging on the Disney board and how returning Disney president Bob Iger had fended it off. But do not bet against Bob Iger. Yeah. He exacted revenge. Yeah, you know, it's it's the old you know you win or you die. In the Game and, of Thrones. Well this comes within a larger cataclysmic restructuring of Marvel in the weight of a lot of losses. Well and you know, so there's 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 a well, broader context to this, right? There's and, a lot of context, but you know, the main thing I think the main through line of this as far as I um, can tell and uh, you know I don't usually plug the beat but I will say I have a couple of stories up there I have been deeply researching and reporting on Ike for about 20 years so I will say this is kind of the culmination of a, a you know I've made a deep study of Ike Perlmutter so in this case I do recommend uh, checking out the stories that I wrote because uh, I think you'll find a lot more information. But just briefly, uh, Ike and Iger had clashed repeatedly over the years. And 
um, when Bob Chapek was running Disney last year, during the pandemic years, um, I started a, to back a new, uh, a new candidate for the board, this Norman Peltz guy. And, uh, you know, he was a meddler. He was meddling. Yeah. There's, there's, like, Disney has the world's best lawyers, period, the end. And they meticulously, and variety, and, in, and you can see the filings, this, cause it's publicly traded stock, so they have filed every single down to, they met on a boat sort of stuff of, of pelts and, you know, trying to get onto the board. And, you know, met, I just wouldn't let it go. And, um, you know, they were calling the stockholders, calling the board members and trying to get some of the board members removed. He was being a total pest. Now, this is against a long history of, of strife between, uh, Iger and Ike. Uh, for instance, um, you know, Ike did not want to make Black Panther. He didn't want to make Captain Marvel. He did not want to make a Marvel movie that didn't star a white man. And, you know, they wanted to make them. The audiences were clamoring for these films. And uh, finally, Iger went to Ike and just said, will you please stop putting up roadblocks? And they did get to make them, and they made them billion dollars each. Yes. And then Ike's answer to this was, you should fire Kevin Feige. Yeah. At- it's, and, does, yeah, it defies all logic yeah. and sense. <laughs> well, and, and not only that, like, let's not overlook the point at which he wanted to fire pretty much all of the leads of the MCU other than Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. because he didn't want to pay them more money. And he yeah. seemed to think that they were all interchangeable parts. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is an anecdote, but. I mean, it goes down to even merchandising, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. yes. He didn't want any merchandising of, of, of women. Or, I mean, this, oh yeah, he uh, blocked uh, the Black Widow uh, toys of Miss Marvel. Yeah, I mean, just, and uh, because he didn't, you know, he came from Toy Biz, and uh, you know, just so many petty, petty things. On and on. Like when Fox had the rights to Fantastic Four, he told Marvel Comics to stop publishing more Fantastic Four comics, and had the artwork taken down from the walls. And then when, because Fox owned the X Men, now the X Men comics were too popular to stop publishing because they were the most popular franchise at the time. But they've been sandbagging them ever since. They have. And Ike thought that he could replace them with the Inhumans. So if you'll recall, like there was a while there when every other comic the that Marvel published was an Inhumans comic. That's where this whole Terrigen Mist things comes from that makes people's not mutants so that they wouldn't be at under Fox. And then uh, they put on that god-awful TV show. So, you know, these were things. There were so many things behind the scenes that Ike did at Marvel Comics, you know, just not paying rates. And just the offices were tiny. They only had one bathroom. I mean, it's unbelievable. He's literally one of the cheapest bosses in America, okay? And Bob Iger, just to bring it back to the present, you know, clashed with Ike. Then came this, this proxy board fight and which... Disney Bob deflected very, I, I mean, I'm sorry. He's elegant. He's got the velvet shiv. I mean, this guy yeah. knows yeah. how to play oh, the yeah. game. Uh, Ike was not up to playing in that level of the big leaves. No, he, 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 he couldn't maneuver the way sure. Bob could. So, so, okay. So where this brings us to is like, everybody was like, this will not stand. You know, Ike is still a shareholder. He's still, imp- he's sort of retired. He's only the chairman of Marvel, but he's still you know, employed by Disney, but everybody was just waiting for the shoe to drop. It dropped yesterday with the announcement in headline at the New York Times that Ike Perlmutter had been laid off. Just the most menial, 
<laughs> cheap, you know, <laughs> low level. You know, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't even know what else to say. I mean, I've said it so many times, but, you know, normally when an executive has slipped, yeah, pink slipped, laid off, removed, fired, other headlines said fired, but, you know, normally when a executive of that level is fired or removed, usually it's given some kind of fig leaf of, nope, no, you know, oh, he wanted to spend more time with his family. Or he's moving on to new projects. Moving on to new projects. Yes, moving on to new projects or the old, you know, give them a production deal and put them in a trailer. Okay? Nope. Nope. Like, out. (laughs) And, I mean, this is, I mean, Calvin, you were saying amidst other things, but Honestly, I think this is a chicken and egg situation. I do wonder if the restructuring at Marvel is specifically to give them a legal way to get Perlmutter out of there. Well, see, there's that's uh, of course there was great rejoicing over this, and as one friend of mine tweeted, uh, I'm going to read this aloud because it's it's pretty funny. Uh, if I can find it, I have so many DMs, you guys. Like my phone exploded yesterday at noon. Oh, oh, I'd yes. love to know what that yes. experience well, was I'll, like. I'll tell you a little bit about some of the things that I learned. But uh, anyway, you know, I can't find it. But he tweeted that if in another world uh, that Marvel employees were, you know, desecrating Ike's office at the at the Marvel offices and cheering and, you know, perhaps uh, acting like only a imagine. crazed rebel. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that wasn't really happening. That was just his imagination of what would happen. Okay. But there was collateral Damage. In the New York Times story, it mentioned that Marvel Entertainment was being disbanded because it was redundant and some of its functions, which covers video games, live action events, uh, course comics publishing, and a few other things like some consumer products being absorbed in the larger Disney. So, of course, there was fear mixed with the joy in that is this the end of Marvel Comics, which is what Kate was alluding to. Uh, and my sources say no. I've talked to a few people adjacent to, or even a couple who are still employed by Marvel Comics, and um, they are cautiously optimistic. I think what you said, Kate, is, is exactly right. That in order to get rid of Ike, who must have had a contract that was... Pretty ironclad. Pretty ironclad. They had to get rid of Marvel Entertainment. But it was so worth it to get rid of Ike. I mean, is he the most hated man in comics? Is Marvel Entertainment gone? Is it? Uh, my understanding was that uh, Dan Buckley is now yes, in yes, charge of Marvel important. Entertainment, yes. which is which was you know the parent of Marvel Comics. Uh, he's reporting the to Feige, which of course would seem to me the best outcome for everything. It, that's uh, a, a, a corporate overlord. Who seems to have a feel for an understanding for, for comics comics. Yes, and I've been told this by many people, that this is a very good outcome for Marvel. That uh, you know, And it's very important. Now, a few other people were let go uh, yesterday. Uh, and I, 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 it all seems to be um, uh, very Ike-affiliated people. Rob Steffens, who is the co-president, chief counsel John Turitzen, VP of Brand Assurance, which I understand is a... Brand assurance is something that Ike was very interested in, Marisol Garcia. And then this guy named Rob Grosser, who was called Ike's enforcer, he would go around and investigate leaks. So he was absolutely um, one of Ike's guys. So this seems to have been a very clear Ike purge yesterday. I mean, Mm. there were further layoffs at Disney today of ABC, but yesterday was all about Ike. So Um, it's it's the 
traditional uh, mop-up after the attempted coup. Yes, 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 exactly. Yes, Yes. well put, well put. Yes, uh, yes, Uh, and a complete purge. Uh (laughs) All of the Kremlin. But no one else at Marvel (laughs) Comics or Entertainment was let go, and uh, just everyone is assuming that the comics, which do make money, have been very successful over the pandemic, uh, will continue on as they are under Dan Buckley, who's been running Marvel for quite a while, very successfully, yeah, very, yeah, uh, very yeah. respected executive. But and once again, Feige seems to be the key here that, yes. you know, uh, <laughs> he's got some insight and some feel for this medium that we're particularly worried about. Right. And I, I mean, one of the things, I mean, uh, the misdeeds... The street racers. The drag racing on 23rd yeah, little, Street. There's a little Akira going on outside. Uh, or Fast and the Furious. Uh, you know, the misdeeds of Ike that we've been talking about so far are very well-known ones that have been widely reported. You know, there's one that's really only been reported um, on a couple comic book sites, one of them being The Beat, which is that he really was against um, holding inventory. Yeah. So that means yeah. that you could not... Say, if you had a best-selling book, like, let's say, Civil War, very popular mm-hmm. comic, basis of a very popular movie. As we all know, when there's a movie based on the comic, the comic sense that the graphic novel tends to sell pretty well for a series of years. Um, and they did keep that one in print. But but most of their graphic novels, they did not keep in print. So they couldn't, you know, just have like Even a look. the most... Yeah. You know, ordered. Yeah. <laughs> and reordered. The, and, the, be- yeah, because yeah, of that, they have been increasingly licensing things out. I mean, like the Penguin books, which you've seen. I haven't seen them, right? But they're beautiful. Uh, yes, I've, you know, and, and of course the Scholastic ones as well. Yes. So, isn't IDW doing some? IDW is doing so, some. Cashin yeah. has yeah. been doing those big, beautiful Marvel books. So they've been licensing yeah. out all kinds of things. But they've really been licensing out even original, original content, which, which I could see where, I mean, whenever, um, these big companies move around their comics properties, there's always seems to be this worry that they're going to just license the whole damn thing. Right. Out, right. Uh, and not indeed have a standing comics department. So there's always that fear, but um, there are downsides to that as well. So. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think the upside when it can be done well is if you're trying to do something different than what you normally do. So for example, yeah. if you're licensing out your kids comics, when you're not good at kids comics, that makes sense. If you decide you're going to do a Marvel cookbook and you don't actually have any yeah. cookbook writers, that might be reasonable to package deal with somebody. Sure. Yeah. Yes. But, absolutely. you know, you don't want to be licensing out your bread and butter. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, well, it's arguable whether it's bread and or butter that they've been licensing <laughs> out. But, um, you know, listen, this is a big question mark. Right now I'm hearing – that it's there's cautious optimism. They really do think this was just aimed at getting rid of Ike. It wasn't mm. a move to disband Marvel Comics, but we'll see. Yeah. You know that Disney needs to make another seven thousand layoffs. They need to save a few billion dollars. And um, you know, I I everybody as one person told me this is the best thing for Marvel Comics. Uh, you know, I want to believe that, but having seen the things I've mm. seen, we'll see. More to come. Yeah. More to for, come. For sure. Now, I will say, ironically, this comes just one week after DC <laughs> actually did restructure. And I know they restructured because someone from DC called me up and just said, because I said it was layoffs in my headline, said it wasn't, it was restructuring. 
Um, and now the details of the restructuring were not made public. Now I happen to know some of the people who were laid off and this they really are taking. Okay. Now I haven't reported this in print, so I want to say it on the podcast, but they laid off Spencer Simpson, who we know oh, from, uh, yes, yes, he was their direct sale or he was their bookstore sales manager. Yeah. So I don't know why you'd lay off that guy. They also laid off, um, their foreign rights licensing person, which, you know, you That's- pay that person a hundred thousand dollars a year and they make $10 million a year. I don't understand why baffling. they do. It's baffling. And I, I heard yeah. that they're, they're outsourcing their licensing to other companies, which makes zero sense. So this is really, I, I think what's happening at DC is for a fact much more disturbing. Uh, they're really just slicing off pieces of it bit by bit by bit. And, I'm still told that, you know, under the um, James Gunn reign, you know, James Gunn and <laughs> Kevin Feige, the two most imp- powerful people in comics, um, that, you know, optimism is high. They, you know, there is good feelings. I've been definitely been getting more press releases from them. They've been doing more press and, um, you know, which is exciting. And, uh uh, but this is serious stuff. I, I mean, when you hear the caliber of people, all the people who were laid off were really good yeah, at their well, jobs. This is what, it was not fat. This, this was is the like, latest disturbing news to come out. Yes, of this was. They seem to lay off key personnel that you just would not. Un, you just couldn't understand it. I mean, they're like, yeah. Now yeah. that well, they're. I is mean, different. that is different, and that also. Uh, I try not to be a conspiracy theorist. I try so hard not to be a conspiracy theorist. But a part of me is just like, there are people at Warner Brothers who just do not like comics. I mean, that's not a conspiracy. That's a no, fact. No, yeah. Kate, I don't that's think a so. fact. That's no, an I mean, analysis. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, but the fact that they don't like comics may be affecting the stupidity of some of these decisions. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, I don't think it's a conspiracy at all. No, I don't think. I, I think mean, you're, I think there's real evidence. To suggest that that is absolutely the case. Yeah, I think it's completely accurate. Uh, that they think it doesn't matter. And they've just done everything they can. I mean, um, you know, they've destroyed... And, you know, listen, it's Pam Lifford, who, ironically, Ike fired at Disney, and she filed a, a uh, lawsuit. I don't know if she actually filed a lawsuit. She threatened legal uh, legal action against Ike and got a big settlement. So, um, you know, it's all tied up. It's a small world, after mm. all. Uh, but she hates comics. She hates DC. I mean, there's no other there. I've been told this by many, many people. And if you look at the, um, progression of events, you, Kate, you just came to the only logical conclusion. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I don't understand why someone in that position who disliked comics was a rational person would not just hire somebody under them to delegate that to that. So they didn't have to deal with it anymore. I think they believe it's a waste of resources. Yeah. Well, it's not a waste of resources if it's making you millions of dollars and then you don't have to deal with it because you don't want to. You're talking like a normal person. (laughs) I just think people that aren't in the comics business, they just don't see the point of it. They just think that there's cheaper ways to do it. And why are we, you know, doing it? Even though it's it's a pretty small kernel in in their universe. You know, listen, I... I think Pam Lifford is very bad at her job. She's the head of branding, and she killed Mad Magazine. Why? Yeah, no. Why? Yeah, go figure. Why? You have a brand that's lasted 60, 70 years. That's a good brand. You could at least sell it if you don't want it yeah, anymore. Yeah, sell it or, uh, you know, reuse it. And she right. hasn't created anything. Yeah, if you don't want it, sell it. It's like you, you just, you had property you didn't like, so you burned it down. 
Yeah. Yeah. Her big innovation was changing the URL of the website from dccomics.com to dc.com. Yeah. I, I, that, another problem, problematic, yeah. you yeah. know. <sighs> yeah. Well, Anyway, what's next on Forcing our story? Well, to use DC Comics anyway yeah. very often. If yeah, you but listen, sure people listen, understand what you're they're saying. hanging in there. But I've yes. talked to a bunch of people <laughs> uh, in and around DC. They are hanging in there. Um, they are carrying on, and um, they are not gone yet. But in lighter gossip news mm-hmm. of things going wrong at DC, oh, yes. there's <laughs> the whole slap fight. Going on behind the scenes around the Shazamiverse. Oh my god. Take it away. So, <laughs> please continue, feel free to interject your own uh, parts of the story as they occur <laughs> to you to join. A little bit of background. Uh, Black Adam in the comics is a morally ambiguous Shazam antagonist. Let's leave it at that. From the 40s. I just want to point out it goes all the way back to the 40s. Yeah, he's been there from the beginning. Yeah. So they decided to make the first Shazam movie. They did. And they were like, hey, Black Adam is a cool character. The Rock looks just like Black Adam. Let's <laughs> cast Black The Rock as Black Adam. Well, I, I actually, I think it was more that the The Rock... The Rock was the impetus behind Black Adam because he loved the character. He wanted to make a Black Adam movie and star as the Rock, Black Adam right. for 15 years. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. But I think the reason they greenlit it yes. was because Shazam happened and they were like, yes. okay, now it makes sense. But then The Rock didn't want to be affiliated <laughs> it with Shazam. Doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. No. It doesn't no, make sense. No, it's just an it's ego a, thing. Yeah. Um, so he didn't want anything to do with the Shazam movies, refused to have, like, cameos or accept cameos from them. And, uh, you know, word on the street is that that really might have, one, hurt his movie, because otherwise people are like, but why does this movie exist? And two, um, hurt the Shazam sequel, because if it had synergy with that recent, you know, rock movie, if there had been some reason for something to look forward to in it. If it hadn't lost momentum, maybe more people would have, you know, seen it or even known that it was on. But it didn't. Well, I got to say, it's almost like just another day at, at Warner Brothers Films yeah. and the DCU because, I mean, I, somebody's got to write a book about this. Maybe it will be me. I mean, Jesus, this is going to be such a good book. Like from... From Snyder and be before that. I mean, all the missteps, yeah. all the crazy people, all the companies. You know who could probably get a pretty good stand-up special out of it? Kevin Smith. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, anyway, like basically The Rock, uh, you know, coming from wrestling. In wrestling, they have a term for it. They call it going into business for yourself. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's when you come out and you don't do what you were told to do as part of the storyline and you go into business for yourself. Well, The Rock went into business for himself. But what's so amusing about it is, is that Zachary Levi, who played Shazam, has been slapping back. Well, he, he kept his mouth shut just long enough for reports to come out in the press from other people who are not named Zachary Levi pointing the finger 
at The Rock. And then once it had come out in the press, so therefore he couldn't be accused of leaking, he was mm-hmm. like, yes, this is true. Uh, and, you know, was was not happy. <laughs> pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he he actually set you free. Yeah, he, he did. He actually did tweet the truth will set you free. Oh my um, God, he did. He did. Jesus, <laughs> Libus, like about. But uh, I can't. I can't blame him. I, I think he showed some restraint, at least not leaking it first. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but he's kept on. Now he's like revealing all these other things. Well, no, like, now that he feels free, he yeah. will because probably it sounds like this power struggle was going on behind the scenes for the last couple of years was probably making this man's life miserable as he tried to make a franchise work and he probably built up a lot of feelings and as soon as he felt it was okay for him to talk about it now he's going to talk about it i can't blame him i, I might too well you know he's also come out you know pretty strongly as an anti-vaxxer and as some you know he watches jordan peterson well, you know which, what which you know I, listen i'm not saying with politics i'm just saying these are unpopular uh, these are unpopular stances, and he is not shy. And I'm just going to read you. I'm sorry, what were you going to say, Kate? Well, I was going to say, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, but in this case, that's not relevant. Yeah. You know, like, Zachary Levi, as a human being, may believe in many things that you or I might think are stupid. In this case, he seems to just be an actor on a movie who got squished by the well, rock. Well, I'm reading some other headlines from him because he is on a tear. Zachary Levy says he was duped by Kevin Feige over his Thor MCU role. Um, we're a far better movie. Marvel star Anson Mount savagely shuts down Zachary Levy for claiming Shazam 2 is better than John Wick 4. Uh, Zachary Levy's is surprisingly keen to torpedo his entire, entire career. And, I, I don't, uh, he is got, he's, he's gonna be doing a panel tomorrow at C2E2, and boy, I, I don't, I'm gonna be looking to the live tweeting of that one. Well, you know, okay. I, I'm going to say that, like, trash talking other people's movies that you weren't in is, like, totally fine and normal for an actor to do. And also, he did famously get, like, recast from the Thor movies. After they gave Fandral absolutely nothing to do. And he may well have been given a script that originally gave his character something to do. Yes. And then they cut it. Yeah, which would not be unheard of. There's some truth in all this, though, no question. So, um. I think that he's naturally an outspoken guy who was keeping his mouth shut for a while and, and now he's talking and this should be fun. Get out the popcorn, people. Yeah. Well. This will be a wild ride. Just uh, moving on because we are just only not even, you know, halfway through this week's news because we got so much to talk about. But just real fast, you know, the thing is, The Rock is really known for his wrestling style promos and he has yet to clap back. So we'll see if he is showing restraint. Or just building up ahead of scene. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say, The Rock has a history mm-hmm. of, of uh, beefing with other stars and movie mm-hmm. franchises he is in if there are, if it's a se- series in which he is not the only star, uh, as witnessed the Fast and Furious series. Oh, yeah. Where Jason Statham, um, Vin Diesel, and The Rock, none of them covered themselves with glory, and all of them acted like whiny it's, little five-year-olds. It's almost as if people who uh, have really giant muscles and don't work out all the time might have some kind of substance uh, that helps them be very cranky. 
So I'll leave it at that. Moving on. Yeah, let's. Oh, as they say (laughs) on YouTube, this is just for entertainment purposes, uh, (laughs) not not based on truth or facts. Please don't sue us, Mr. The Rock. There you go. Uh, Hey, Lance. Mm. Congrats. Congrats to Lance Fensterman. Yeah. Has, Lance has been a guest on the show at some point. I have to believe. I mean, I'm I'm sure uh, he's been interviewed on the floor. I don't know if we've done like a full. We ever, wait a minute. I think we have I think done. We have. You've done. You've done a couple of interviews with him. I at have. least one. I think I have once at least. <clears> but anyway, listeners, we've done over 500 episodes. Yeah, sometimes we, know. we forget. Sometimes them. we forget. But Lance Fisherman, uh he was uh, what was he did the president of Reed Pop. Um, I think he he launched Reed Pop if he I'm did. not mistaken. I remember when he. First was named um, the show manager of New York Comic Con. This was something like 2007, mm-hmm. yeah. something like that. Uh, he was also he also ran um, Book Expo for R. a R. minute. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's um, he was a former bookseller. Uh, I think a true pop culture fan who moved up to be a I think a great pop culture administrator. Um, I think you know. Uh, you know, we, we talk about representation manner, matters. I think he represented the fan he well. Did. He did. In the suites. Uh, uh, and, uh, he was a good guy and he also oversaw the growth of read exhibitions from a purely trade convention That's show right. to a really a show dominated by consumer shows in the pop culture vein. Yeah. Well, so, Calvin. Tell everybody what happened with Lance and why you're congratulating him. Oh, yes. Him. Lance, thank you. Actually, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I guess I should talk about why am I talking about Lance like he's, you know. Uh, Lance Fisterman is leaving Reed Pop after Lord. How many? I, I said uh, 2000. When did Reed Pop stop? 2009? I think so. Yeah. So I don't know. However many years that is. He is leaving now to take a new position for a new career project that has not yet been named. Uh, so this is why we're saying, um, great things about him. But you know what? We said great things about Lance before he decided to leave. We did. We did. I, I really, you know, I, like you said, Calvin, uh, we had <laughs> so, lunch with Lance. Thank just you, Kate. You're right. The, I was going on an answer. The first time, uh, <laughs> like you said, when he first took over the show, because, uh, you know, Calvin and I, we both worked on the first. Yes. Uh, for, and the, I think the second one too, weren't we? We don't we even remember. Working, yeah. Yeah. We yeah, were working, yeah. We were with Greg Tabalian. That's right. I worked with Greg. We, but you and I both show. were consultants yeah, and worked absolutely. with Greg on the first right. show. And then Lance took over. We worked with him a bit. Mm. So, you know, we had lunch. And, um, uh, you know, I just like Lance. I mean, Lance, yeah. I, I said in my piece, he's a real people person. Yeah, right. And absolutely. we immediately liked him. And he listened to us, too. He really was very open to hearing what we had to say. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think one of the things I appreciate the most about Lance is that he has never shied away from uh, tough questions, you mm-hmm. know, because there's been some real missteps at New York Comic Con over the years. And uh, when I asked Lance about him, he was very candid and just, you know, mm. uh, apologized for them. I mean, yeah. there was no dissembling. He was a real on-the-level person, and you don't find too many of them yes, in I our have. space. And, and he made some tough decisions. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kate. I was going to say, and uh, listeners, if you're wondering why Calvin and Heidi were involved, once upon a time, back in the midst of time, Publishers Weekly was owned by Reed Publications, the same company as read you know events and so you know yeah. it was sort of a cross company yeah, synergy 
Yeah, it, it was. Uh, I've, I, I've even forgotten the thing. I mean, yeah, we were part we of remember. a larger corporate structure, but yeah. Reed Exhibition was somewhat separate. Yeah, but we did used to work for Reed. That's yeah, true. it was the same company. <laughs> that's why they there was out a connection, to you. without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was just Reed overall, right? Because. Uh, I've, I've, I've kind of even forgotten. Yeah, I, I used to be able to use Reed Corporate to get hotels at San Diego Comic Con, <laughs> so I do remember that. So you're right. <clears throat> um, you know, he did launch Reed Pop, and uh, taking over him as Mike Kiskin, who is the, currently uh, the group VP at Reed Pop, and then uh, UK managing director Simon Maxwell will oversee the digital because Reed Pop also owns a whole suite of uh, websites that are mostly about gaming, but they all also own Popverse. And then the people who will keep running it is Mike Armstrong, Christina Rogers, and Kyle Marsden Kish. All of, uh, Mike and Christina, of course, very well known. Um, we talk to them all the time for our New York Comic Con coverage and Emerald City. I was just at, I was actually yeah, hanging yeah. out with all of them there, yeah. including Lance. I actually saw Lance at Emerald City, which I hadn't really just seen him hanging out at a show in years. And we were catching up, and that should have been a sign, I guess. But um, victory well lap. The, the international side mm-hmm. of pop culture conventions that uh, read pop kind of. Now, I don't know if they still own all of these, but they were really had really far flung interests uh, yeah, in Asia. But they're not South doing Asia. those anymore. They yeah, they're started, not doing those anymore. No. Yeah. They listen. Read pop has started and then stopped more initiatives yeah. than possible. And, you yeah. know, look. Including BookCon. Including BookCon, right? <laughs> and Book Expo. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that Lance, um, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a hard time for the event space right now. I yes. think people really mm-hmm. want to go back to events. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Emerald City and WonderCon in a minute, but I think, uh, listen, I, I don't think Reed is a company that invests a lot in their businesses. So I do think it's very, very, very bottom line oriented at Reed Pop and things that didn't work like Book Expo, uh, didn't last. They got taken off. And you know, they launched, remember they launched special edition that didn't <laughs> last. They Never launched anime, the anime uh, con, the, New York anime really con. About. That, so that, they, yeah, they yeah. had their duds for yeah, sure. Yeah, duds. But, but I will say Emerald City was amazing. C2E2 is this weekend, which mm. sounds like it's going to be fantastic. Mm. Everybody's talking about and it. And New York Comic Con is just a rising star in the firmament yes. of cons. Yes. Yes. Well, rising star. It, it is the star. It, it I mean, it's star. been around yeah, for 17 years. Well, no, years. I mean, it's. It is the East Coast star to yeah. San Diego. Yeah. Yeah, um, but yes, and, I, and my only point is that he presided over this incredible expansion of the pop culture space in North America, uh, and really globally. He did, but but uh, uh, and and he did it with uh, you know, by, by having winners and and managing the losers. He did as well. He did, so, and uh, yeah, I mean, I always felt that Lance was someone you could yeah. really talk to about. Uh, issues that, you know, we're very nosy about cons. We all have, mm-hmm. <laughs> all, everybody thinks they can know how to run a show for some reason. And, um, you know, we, uh, Lance was always there to listen. And listen, I, I look forward to seeing him on his, on his next gig. Yeah. You know, same, same un, unknown. Well, speaking of cons, I was at Emerald City. Um, I, my, I'm sort of trying to think out of phrases, but, uh, you know, there was some talk that, this is such an anime show and a manga show that anime and manga are going to take over more and more of the floor and less of, uh, you know, that there were no publishers at Emerald City to speak of. Hmm. Except PRH and for a second, each had a 10 by 10 booth, maybe 10 by 20, which are pretty big publishers. Um, then WonderCon, which is held in Anaheim, 
Uh, they didn't, I mean, again, really no publishers. Z2 was there. Uh, Rocket Ship was there. Sumerian was there. I think the biggest the publisher. Publishers aren't traveling. They're not traveling. Well, not even not traveling. At New York Comic Con last year, mm-hmm. it was pretty sad when it came to, to publishers. I mean, a lot of publishers who normally had booths at New York Comic Con just didn't last yeah. year. Yeah. And that's even at San Diego. Yeah. There was so many publishers who did not come back, including DC Comics wasn't there. Yeah. Dark Horse. Maybe. Now, I have heard that Dark Horse will be there at, at, at San Diego this year. And some of it is because of COVID. Yeah. You know, some people yeah. just didn't want to do, didn't want to send their staffs to very busy COVID filled events. You know, but we are coming out of COVID and a lot of this is going to be back. But I, I listen, I think there's a lot of reasons. We have so much. I'm not even going to go into it now. We could probably do a whole nother episode talking about this on a, the next episode. But, uh, inflation is a big reason for it. Yes. And, uh, again, you know, the rise of anime. I heard some people say at WonderCon, maybe they should turn this into an anime show. And, um, you know, that was just tittle tattle scuttlebutt. But, you know, there is, I mean, there is always the Dragon Con model of con running. Oh, boy. Which is to say, you just absorb a different kind of con and become two kinds of con at once, or three kinds of con at once, or four kinds of con at once, yeah, but and just dra- have give them parallel tracks. But at Dragon Con, almost all of them are like, you know, Tinder, but anyway. <laughs> what? Never mind. Okay. <laughs> As someone who has actually been to Dragon Con a few times, I, I don't get it. Okay. Well, there's a lot of different reasons people go to Dragon Con. No, there was there was a spinoff of Dragon Con that was called Frolic Con. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm talking about uh, the G-rated tracks. Yes. There are a lot of G-rated tracks at Dragon Con. You could do that without adding frolic so anyway we will be frolicking this weekend at mocha who's going to mocha this weekend well i'm going to be going to mocha because i have the great privilege of interviewing uh barbara brandon and if you don't know who barbara brandon is, i'm going to tell you uh she is the first um african-american woman with a nationally syndicated comic strip and that strip is where i'm coming from a very imaginative and innovative comic strip that lasted through most of the 90s, I believe, and early into the 2000s. I'm, I'm, I'm mangling the date, so I apologize. But you better ha- you better memorize this before I Saturday. I memorize Calvin. it before. Uh, <laughs> but we've actually published an interview uh, with uh, Barbara by Ebony Flowers, uh, whose whose books um, Haircomb was it was a PW uh, best book of the year. Um, uh, where I'm coming from is this incredible insightful for satirical uh amusing conversation it's a uh, uh barbara invented nine kind of black female personas and they talked about it and they spilled the tea and they talked about culture and uh being a single moms and you know black life black culture and black politics and it was really a groundbreaking comic strip so well, it'll be one o'clock on Saturday and we're going to be in conversation. And Drawn and Quarterly has published a collection of strips that's coming out. This, I think it came out in February. So yeah. it's out and it's called Where I'm Coming From. Nice. Very, very nice. Uh, yeah. Well, it's wonderful that, you know, pioneers like Barbara Brandon Croft and she's so nice. I met him. Yeah. I met her last year, I think at SPX. Just so nice. Uh, are being rediscovered. But yeah, I can't wait. I haven't been to Mocha. I missed it last year because I was at some other con. 
uh, pretty excited to see it to see everybody out this year. Yeah. And um, it's going to be at the Metropolitan Pavilion again over on 18th Street. Very nice. Are you going, Kate? I may or may not go on Sunday, mm. depending on whether I can manage the time around. Because I also have tickets to see Nick Glutzko. Listeners, if you have heard <laughs> the uh, What If Alex Jones was a sad folk song parody <laughs> or what if Trump was an emo band parody or um his long list of of things about Spirit Halloween actually he will be playing New York on Sunday and tickets are still available nice okay. nice little plug there Kate but also going on at Mocha I mean Colleen Duran's going to be in conversation with Neil Gaiman oh wow uh, that's a great lineup yep Michael Bob of Ginger Queer uh, will also be doing a presentation. We're also talking. Um, uh, Miriam Caton, Nor Van Skyver, the list goes on. I mean, on. it's just so great. Yeah, I know you guys went year, last year and had a wonderful time. Um, like I said, I missed it. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, we love our Indie Comics friends and uh should be a good one. So, yes, up and down. So many positive things amidst the crazy. Uh Boy, what's next? I don't even. Digital Comics Update. Okay, yes. what do we got here? Uh, oh, well, Kate, you called it. I called it. So, a little over a month ago, I think a month and a half ago, um, I brought to the podcast the news that Kadansha was pulling out um, from their digital comics deals. And they hinted that they weren't leaving digital comics space, and then they left it there. And I was like, yeah, they're doing something. And I was right. They're doing mm-hmm. something, and what they're doing is their mm-hmm. very own digital manga app. Um, it is known as K-Manga, which was maybe not the best choice for a title, <laughs> given that typically, right now, when someone wants to designate that a piece of translated Asian entertainment is from Korea, they call it K-This or K-That. And so being a Japanese publisher calling your app K-Manga. little confusing. But um, points to Kadansha for, you know, caring about the American market and uh, doing something to go into that digital slot. Because, you know, people like their their simul-pub translations and, um, you know, apps are the way of the future. Yeah, and this and really kind of, this does kind of address all of the questions about the sort of halt on simul- simultaneous publications because this app is going to have it all. Right, um, right. They're not really, yeah, it was just a temporary halt as they switched to their new platform. Um, readers, you can get all your favorites, simulpubbed, download K-Manga. Let us know how it is. <laughs> so the, the app should, uh, the K-Manga app should drop in May, I mm-hmm. believe it is. I think that's when it's going to be made available. It's coming May 10th, 2023. Well, there's uh, definitely a lot, you know, a uh, lot of stuff going on in the digital space right now. But good for Kadansha to uh, launching this. Although I understand from talking to our colleague Deb Aoki, there's uh, still some issues with it. But, uh, you know, at least it's out there. Now, let's see. I'm just going to quickly run through a whole bunch of other little things that are kind of happening here in this space. Uh, you know, Tapas, well, Webtoon and Tapas have both just completely abandoned their plans to launch yeah. big in the United States. Now, I think that has to do with global inflation, uh, just 
uh, some softening of the markets in Asia and, you know, COVID, all this stuff. But they shut down a Korean office, which I understand really only did some localization. It really wasn't that integral to the running of Tapas, which is a, you know, vertical scrolling comics company for, for mobile phones. But, um, uh, just further, um, shrinking. And, you know, we did report, I, you know, just earlier this year, they did lay off a whole bunch of staffers there. And I mean, yeah. Calvin, you just interviewed Chris Robinson, who was there, but now where is he? Well, he's doing his own thing. That, mm-hmm. And that's going to be another podcast. Okay. Uh, in fact, you'll be able to, I'll, I'll give it a program, but this really has nothing to do with that. We, in fact, we, we purposely did not talk about Tapas. No, 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 but I'm just saying he was at <laughs> he Tapas. He was there. He was there. In fact, he yes. was, uh, he was supposed to be bringing in new business, yes, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Well, everybody who was brought uh, in to bring in In fact, new... we did, all, didn't we do a whole. Yes, we did. Uh, interview with, uh, Michelle yes. Wells and, uh, yeah, yeah. Jamie Rich. Yeah. Uh, well, and I'm that went away pretty Glad we got him on the record while we could because. Because it didn't last yeah, long. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. but they are still massively popular. Yeah, right. Yeah. They're not pulling out of the U.S. market. No, They're just no. retrenching. Mm-hmm. Um, they had some very, very ambitious plans, which they decided not to do. And I, I'd rather, you know, I, I prefer when a successful company just uh, pulls back from their financially unfeasible ideas instead of crashing and burning, but sticking to their guns. Yeah, and I mean, I do understand that they did lay off, um, you know, like their A&R guy, you know, like they had announced, oh, we're starting a studio and we hired <laughs> blah, blah to, you know, do our film and TV rights. Well, that person got laid off too. So, uh, yeah. you know, shrink, shrink, they're, shrink. They're going back to do what they what they do best, which is yeah. user-generated user content. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more to come on that as mm-hmm. we traverse this very traumatic uh, year. Uh, you know, we just ran on the beat. Uh, Global Comics is still coming towards their new app. Uh, we ran a nice review of it by Anthony Ha. And, you know, they are launching. They have Image Comics on there, too. Um, but this other new app that hasn't even debuted yet, brand new, never before seen, Omnibus, they mm-hmm. have also signed up Image and Vault has gone with them. So, um, you know, this kind of little mini space race between two apps, what offers an all you can eat buffet, uh, kind of, um, uh, program and the other, you just strictly per issue. So which is which, uh, global does, uh, except global comics exists right now. They're just launching an app and they're kind of expanding their business. So you could do it all you want. You know, I think it's seven ninety nine a month. Uh, but Omnibus, I believe, is going to launch just with issue sales. But anyway, uh, more more stuff going on there. Uh, DC's webtoons that we lauded here on the, oh, yeah. the podcast a year ago are coming to print through uh, DC. DC is, is yeah. publishing them, mm-hmm. and then perfect and sense. then Chibzarski's Substack comics are are coming out. Uh, was it from Image? Yeah, yeah. He got an Image deal for those, so it's not just yeah. you know printing it in his basement. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. Now, isn't Dark Horse doing some um, yes. some of these deals too? And I've got I kind of lost track of where yeah, they are in this mix because they're doing some yeah. uh, these webtoons to print. Yeah, so Substack seems to um, not be controlling where their creators are print publishing um, because these these books are coming out from a variety of publishers. Yeah. Yeah, which is fine and healthy. Yeah, it's so, as it should be. Yes, yeah, it's, it's all as it should be. Um, so let's see. Well, that I think is about it. Uh, what else? I, I come, usually have a pretty good, um, pretty good handle on what we're talking about, but this time so many different things There's are so happening stuff, that I yeah, that yeah. lost. I believe we have reached our awards roundup. Yes. Yeah, I think so too. That's right. I believe our awards roundup, but let's see now. Uh, you know, again, I must praise my man, Deedon Simons at the beat because he just loves to write about awards. 
And there seems to be a lot of them coming out. So let me see. Heartstopper won the medal for fiction at the Hay Festival, which is a British festival. I think it's somebody named Hay. No. It's not to do with Hay. No, it's town of Hay on Wye. Ah, okay. (laughs) So Hay on Wye is known for being the British quote-unquote book town. It's got a lot of bookstores. And it also has a book festival. And this is a very prestigious prize that does not usually go to comics. Correct. Salman Rushdie has won it. Right. So, you know, comics winning literary awards, it's new. It's happening. Uh, another one that just happened is that I'm trying to find uh, content on my own site and uh, I'm not finding it very well. So I need to redesign my site. Um, Kate Beaton's Ducks just won the Canada Reads Award for 2023, which is a very prestigious. It's like all Canadians uh, must we- read this book. Um, it was actually a radio competition. Uh, it's a battle of the books on different celebrities. Um, uh you know, argue for different books, but it's a, it's a, again, it's a pretty prestigious award. And uh, of course, Ducks, we know is uh, absolute, um, you know, one of the best gra- graphic novels of the still young decade. Uh, let's see. We have even one more here. Our Archie Johnson won the oh, yeah. 2023 Whiting Award yeah. for fiction. What is that about? Uh, the Whiting Awards are a prestigious literary award. And I, <laughs> Um, I'm kind of thinking, you know what, I think actually Ebony Flowers may have gotten them at one mm-hmm. point. One, uh, you know what, I, 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 I don't know. So I'm going to mm-hmm. stop We right should there. have Dean come on and just do our, do a little But awards. I did notice that, unfortunately, I didn't read closely in it uh, to be able to tell yeah. you more. Well, I haven't studied, oh wait, no, Dean, one previous writing winner for the Common Spaces novelist, Benjamin Percy, who has since written various titles for the big two, including Green Arrow and Teen Titans. So... Uh, congrats to all of this week's award winners. Um, another quick note, um, Junji Ito's Bloodsucking Darkness is in development from Fangoria Studios. More Junji Ito. That is awesome. Still waiting for that Uzumaki, uh, adaptation. And Calvin? There's something yeah. else in development, isn't there? Uh, yeah, Scott Pilgrim, uh, versus the world, a movie that I went absolutely gaga over when, what was it, 2010? 2010. Something like that. 13 years um, ago. Um, uh, 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 Bradley O'Malley's, uh, uh, just wonderful, smart and funny, um, manga influenced graphic novel series, uh, and Edgar White who directed the film adaptation. I mean, I think one of the perfect combinations of book and film at that is now going to be, uh, an anime with voice by the original cast, which is like wow. Michael Sarah and, uh, and I'm the band because well, I'm I mean, there's so many of them are big stars now, like, like Brie Larson and it's just a, I look, I love that movie so much. I can't even tell you. Aubrey Plaza. Yes. Aubrey Plaza's in it. Yes. Everybody's, everybody's in it. It's hilarious and smart. It's such an incredible, it really, if I may indulge, I was sitting fanboying with my wonderful wife, uh, Jody Culkin, uh, when they, uh, at the movies, the movie premiere at, um, Comic-Con, one mm-hmm. of the great moments of my, of my fan life. And for this to be an anime is just wonderful. If you've never seen the film, go out, I don't know, it's, I'm sure it's on some streaming somewhere, but this is, there's no date set for, you know, what's happening, but it's, it's announced. It's true. It's going to happen. All right. Enough. That's good. 
Okay, uh, we just have enough time. We're actually cramming everything in, you guys, and we thought we couldn't do it. In fact, we had like a very long argument about whether we could cram it all in, but we're doing it, so I gotta stop talking about it. Um, uh, some, some articles in, uh, in the media that we wanted to talk about this time. Yes. Um, uh, Calvin. Yes, I want to talk you about You have this. a story that touches. I do, and I want to make sure that I have the names of the people behind this, this, um, Incredible event, but I don't. Hold on a second. Well, in the meantime, uh, Kate. Okay. Oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, okay. I do believe, I think I've got the family's name. Okay. This is a, this is an amazing story because it just sort of brings in all the aspects of collecting, both the good and in some ways the dark side of, of collecting. You know, we love our comics. We love our superhero comics. We all know that, uh, in this country, collecting comics, uh, sometimes can sort of overwhelm read, actually reading the doggone things. This is a story about a family, and I think it's the Dale, uh, the, 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 the father figure, Dale Watts, uh, amassed an enormous, um, uh, collection of comics over the course of 50 years. But, uh, as we, uh, as we look closer at it, and this is a, a news feature that was done by, um, a, De- a Detroit TV affiliate for CBS. Um, and, there's also a documentary being made about it. It's called Selling Superman. Basically, over the course of 50 years, he amassed a mammoth collection of comics. And along, along with, uh, trading cards, uh, uh, action figures and the like, over a million pieces. He has one of the most, in most perfect condition issues of Superman number one. Uh, you would, uh, including also of the first Batman comic, uh, which apparently has got an offer for $300,000 already. But this collection is just jaw dropping. But he did it in secret. He, he was kind of a hoarder. He was an attorney and apparently had Asperger's syndrome as well. His wife broke up with him because of it. Mm-mm-mm. But, uh, in some ways, he died just in the last few years, but in some ways, uh, since his death, his family's actually come to understand a bit more about what he did. And so his son has kind of been, uh, um, opening up and talking about the collection. Mm. It's three container. Wow. Of stuff. It's amazing. Um, so it's a kind of look at, in some ways, how this collection now is bringing them back together and looking and thinking in a different ways about the father but at the end of the day i mean his collecting his obsessive collecting i mean including look multiple issues and this is classic collector behavior right. where you buy several issues to read and several but are, they, are they selling it they're selling parts of it uh it's not clear what's going to happen with all of this thing but there's some some things that are so valuable they're clearly planning i mean he has one of the most perfect conditions uh, uh issues of the first superman they're going to sell it. There's can be no doubt about that. Um, but uh, anyway, this documentary is called Selling Superman, which is going to look at the family and their story in the collection. I'm not entirely sure just where, uh, when it's going to come out, but um, go Google it. It's called Selling Superman. Uh, and it's really kind of an amazing story and actually very affecting, both mm-hmm. in terms of like what we like and what we don't like about this this aspect hmm. of this category Food that we love. for thought. Yes. That's all right. So <laughs> another article, another piece of media that you might want to check out is in The Guardian online newspaper from England. 
is a long feature on the history of the French love of manga, um, really starting off in the 1970s, although tracing its roots back to Japanophilia in earlier centuries. Um, you know, mentioning, for example, Vincent van Gogh. Um, but really, it's just a long feature going into great detail on just how much the French like manga. 55% of comics wow. published in French are manga. Um, you know, they were early hits on French television before anime was really big in the United States. Um, and unlike in the United States, they didn't rewrite the plots. Ah, uh, gain X. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just a fascinating history. It's worth a read. It's free. If you've got half an hour, boot up The Guardian and you'll find it. The title is Magnifique. <laughs> manga. Mag- Mangafique. Magna. Mag- Manga Nifique. How France became obsessed with Japanese anime. Yeah. Well, a final article that may be of interest is PW's annual retailer survey, uh, Calvin, and yeah. uh, written by David Harper. And boy, it's long. It's, Holy crap, it's, it's, it's long. It's long, and you know what? And it's long for a reason, because he really looked at uh, what's going on in comics retail after a really turbulent period well there's a the, one of the headers is uh, a weird yet successful year yeah i mean uh to be sure uh there were declines in sales in 2022 across the board in in the direct market and in the, the book trade however comic sales the incredible and explosive growth of comics dr- driven by both manga and adult graphic mm-hmm. novels as well um, it, it means that the sales are still above pre-pandemic levels. And, uh, and I think the article mentions somewhere like around 30% still higher, um, uh, than pre-pandemic levels. So, uh, uh, really what David looks at is supply, the supply chain issues that, uh, interfered with many sales, uh, still remain, but things have improved. Um, uh, distribution has stabilized. But uh, retailers, particularly in the direct market, are grappling with basically having multiple distributors. Mm, yeah. Um, uh, and and it's also a very interesting because we're reaching this thing. Comics are more popular than they have ever been. There are more. Uh, there's a more diverse a variety of comics than there have ever been before. You can buy comics everywhere, and of course, there's an explosion of titles. Uh, comics retailers, of course, tend to see this as a glut. And we've talked about it. Mm. Uh, but I think we're in, in a new world of comics publishing in a much larger pool. And of course, comics are an integral part of the book trade now. I, I just think we're going to have to, there's a contradictory theme to this story where direct market retailers are, uh, uh, they're upbeat despite the problems. They really see a path forward and they're very happy with, with sales. Uh, but they are a bit overwhelmed with, some people might say, are the realities of having a very popular and broad marketplace. Well, you know, we could discuss this for another hour. And uh, I will throw in just really quickly that I noticed the same sense of optimism 
you know, cautious optimism among people I talked to at Emerald City and WonderCon. You know, I talked to one retailer and he was like, yeah, we're headed for some tough times, but I've been through it before. Now that's a new, me- I gotta say, that's a new, mm-hmm. that's a new uh, message from retailers because there's an all- always been a lot of fatalism in the industry and oh, I- yes. I'm not sensing that this time. So that must mean that this time it really is gonna die. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, that was- I, I, I think, Let's put it this way. I think that's as optimistic as comic book people can be. Yeah. Yes. Like, instead of saying things are great, they say, mm-hmm. it's going to go downhill again, but we're okay with that. Yeah. But I mean, listen, they are. I mean, listen, there's some real problems out there. Oh, well, yeah, perhaps, there are. But I perhaps, just mean, yeah, the, well, the comics retailers, as someone who's re- reported on this space, are frequently the first people to say that comics are doomed. Mm-hmm. So yes. if... Yeah. They're feeling cautiously optimistic. That's a huge thumbs up. I agree. Yeah. I agree. But, you know, I think there'll be more to come on that. We a- absolutely. Definitely, uh, and at some point, yeah. hopefully we can get David on to talk a little yes. bit more about it as well. But really, I mean, he, uh, he, he talks to people like Jen Haynes at Dragon Guelph, uh, 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 Jen King at Space Cadets, uh, Powerhouse Books here. That's, uh, Susan, uh, Koenig. Um, and, and, and you can see the article and read it for yourself. At publishersweekly.com slash comics. All right. All right. And on that note, uh, boy, it was a lot. We did it, guys. We got in under an hour. Uh, and you know, but boy, I don't know if there'll ever be a week quite like this, but there will be more to come. And the joy riders are yeah, back May at 10. it again. 